Innovate is, um, um, is what we call a video marketing platform. It's a technology platform uh, sold to marketers, uh, brands, uh, executives, and, uh, and agencies um, that let them do three things. First and foremost, uh, uh, what is called an ad server. It's a technology that actually streams the ad um, to every website. So if a marketer, let's say uh, Chrysler or Procter & Gamble or Best Buy or others uh, is advertising on YouTube or Hulu or Fox or NBC or New York Times, uh, there's a centralized platform uh, that you can actually manage the campaign, upload the MP4s and, and actually do the streaming and make decisions on uh, on which video file to serve. So right now we're very fortunate to be the largest video ad server uh, in the world and in many other countries uh, in the United States and many other countries that we operate in. Uh, a little over a third of all video ads in the United States are being streamed by Innovate. So if you uh, tune into every website and every app, let's say Hulu, uh, one out of three ads. As a matter of fact, on Hulu, it's probably even higher than that. Uh, uh, almost one of every two ads uh, would be ones coming from Innovate. Every day, we stream roughly 450 years worth of ads. And this is just ads content. Um, so we, we stream a lot of videos. To complete the story of our platform, at the core, it's an, it's an ad server. Uh, and then on top of that, there are two applications. One is around creative and the other one is around measurement. The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Today we have a very special guest and an old friend of mine, uh, Tal Khalozin, who is the CTO of Innovid. Hi, Tal, and welcome to the Video Insiders. Hello, Drawer. Hello, Mark. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It's a true honor. Yeah, welcome, Tal. Thank you. So tell us about Innovid. So Innovid, uh, the uh, software company that uh, that I had the honor of, uh, of starting together with uh, uh, my two uh, uh, friends and co-founders, Zvika Netter, our CEO, and Zach Zigdon, who runs all of our international business. Um, and myself, it's a, it's a company that we started uh, uh, back in 2007, um, where just to take you, before I explain what we do, just to take you back uh, almost 13 years ago, we, um, this is the time after uh, Google acquired YouTube and Hulu as a streaming site was kind of in inception mode. Uh, NBC and News Corp uh, started this, uh, this operation to bring streaming television into the internet. And what we said uh, back then is that, that uh, we believe that uh, the future of television is is over IP and being to be streamed, uh, and we thought that uh, when this would happen. Um, the one thing that we really want to tackle is the viewing experience around the advertising because it was clear that uh, marketers and ad dollars uh, um, take a very, very important part of the, the experience of television, subsidizing content and, uh, and creating the, the access to uh, so many different people. Um, but it's also clear that uh, sitting through a pretty boring 30-second spot uh, and that every person around uh, in the United States in, on a broadcast uh, time window would, uh, would see the exact same ad is kind of silly. Um, so we went on a journey to, re to uh, build a, a software that helps to, to 
to create a better viewing experience around commercial. So we started with a technology with a uh, with a technology that allows um, what is called kind of layman terms a virtual product placement. It was a computer vision um, technology that lets you um, process videos and uh, and reconstruct the 3D. So understanding uh, occlusions and background and foreground and and things like that and planes uh, and allow you to render products, 3D products and 3D images uh, into the shot. And it looks like as if it was there while the content was uh, was shot, while uh, uh, re- reproducing all the shades and um, lightning and, uh, uh, and again, occlusion and, and things like that. This was where we started. We got a bunch of patents. We This is how we raised our, our A round back then. We got so many awards. It was awesome. Uh, but then what we learned uh, is that it's, it's amazing, but advertising is a business of scale for marketers to actually play or the, one of the main thing that marketers gain out of television is, is a massive megaphone that lets you tell your story to millions, if not hundreds of millions of people uh, in, a, uh, in 30 seconds. So then we went on a journey to better learn this, uh, this business and, and expanded more and more capability. And fast forward to today, Innovit is, um, um, is what we call a video marketing platform. It's a technology platform uh, sold to marketers, uh, brands, uh, executives, and, uh, and agencies um, that let them do three things. First and foremost, uh, uh, what is called an ad server. It's a technology that actually streams the ad um, to every website. So if a marketer, let's say uh, Chrysler or Procter & Gamble or Best Buy or others uh, is advertising on YouTube or Hulu or Fox or NBC or New York Times, uh, there's a centralized platform uh, that you can actually manage the campaign, upload the MP4s and, and actually do the streaming and make decisions on uh, on which video file to serve to uh, to what uh, uh, to the individual uh, that is streaming the content. Um, so right now we're very fortunate to be the largest um, video ad server um uh, in the world and in many other countries uh, in the United States and many other countries that we operate in, um, uh, a little over th- a third of all video ads in the United States are being streamed by Innovate. At the core, it's an, it's an ad server. Uh, and then on top of that, there are two applications. One is around creative and the other one is around measurement. There, we are headquartered in, in uh, New York. Uh, there's uh, 350 people, um, big R&D center in, uh, in Israel, and then offices across uh, the US and in Europe and, uh, and APAC. Uh, if you read the trades, um, it seems like the future of television is uh, has no ads. Uh, Disney Plus, uh, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, all of the big services uh, that made a lot of splash in the in the press uh, uh, to the horn of no ads. Uh, this is very nice for marketing, but in reality, uh, uh, advertising dollars pays the bills uh, that makes um, so many uh, pieces of content uh, to be streamed. Uh, the the um, uh, subscription services could not really um, could not really thrive on subscription alone. Let alone when you're talking about a massive global service um, that uh, would like to reach hundreds of millions of uh, of subscribers. You cannot do that only with subscribing uh, with subscription dollars or advertising. Is, uh, is a very strong market and uh, in the future will be that. 
um, easy, uh, easy testament is that just last week, uh, NBC launched or Comcast launched their uh, foray into, into that game uh, called Peacock. Um, and uh, the main thing that they said is that, hey, uh, there's so much noise around advertise about no ads. This cannot work. We will include ads. And this makes to the second part of what I wanted to say about the future is that, but they put a lot of emphasis around ad experience. So it's not that uh, uh, you will see ads in the same way that uh, you used to watch in television. There will still be ad breaks, but it would look and feel very, very different than what it used to be uh, on television. And we play a very big role there and in other places. Um, and we think that, uh, yes, the future is the future of television is over the Internet, over IP. The future of television is with ads or at least in some capacity of it. But uh, it, it, uh, it would look and feel much different. Um, I, I want to ask a question regarding the, the ad server uh, component. Um, and these ads go uh, um, interleaved um, into content experiences, sometimes before, after, or, or during Correct. Um, the, the actual streaming of, of, of the content. So how do you match the, the resolution and the quality of, of the ads that you provide to the actual content that is being streamed, because I don't assume that somebody watching a 4K movie would like to be interrupted by like an, you know, an SD low quality ad. It would probably be quite annoying. Well, I have so many things to say about this stuff. Uh, first, first of all, before I answer exactly how we do that, uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, people think that um, the internet is so advanced in uh, in 2020. So all of this problem is practically solved and uh, that there's no real problem to bring television over the internet. And it's not really true. I'm sure you know, uh, you know very well. The general standard uh, in, the, in the video ads industry right now um, is that you would we as the server that generates that file and host them uh, would create an XML template. Uh, it's called VAST, um, V-A-S-T, um, and put a multiple video renditions in a file and create a manifest that, ex that, um, uh, that have different renditions uh, um, of, and, and after the different en encoders as well uh, of the file. It used to be, we used to put FLV and, uh, um, uh, and other, and Aug Theory and other stuff, but uh, right now it's all uh, MP4 um, uh, containers. But anyway, you put multiple renditions and then the actual player picks the right one. And the player essentially what he's doing is doing playlisting. Um, so picking the, the right ad at the right time. And there is uh, in the last... In the last few years, but honestly, just in the last year, there is a um, big change in the way video ads are being streamed, uh, moving from what used to be called um, CSII, client-side ad insertion, aka playlisting. So on the client, there is uh, you download some some type of a, a playlisting, and then you just move uh, between different files, even if it's um, um, the main content. Uh, it doesn't matter the rendition, uh, you would still switch between uh, between different files that you do progressive downloads for. Um, and what's uh, and, and where most of the f most of the very large sites are today and apps uh, are what is called SSAI server side ad insertion. Essentially, it doesn't matter what file we bring, um, you convert it into um, into an HLS stream, create TS files, and then do uh, kind of the the term that uh, that everyone is using is manifest manipulation. So just uh, manipulate the M3U8 and swap packets, TS files inside the M3U8. 
I hope that I don't need to explain everything that I'm just saying, but stop me if you want me to. Um, so essentially, let's say on Hulu, this is how it works. You will tune into a stream uh, and you hit play on an episode of, uh, I don't know, The Good Wife on Hulu. Uh, what they will do, they will go, let's say this is uh, 48 minutes of an episode uh, or 21 minutes of an episode uh, with multiple ads uh, needs to be weaved throughout. So what they will do, they will do a server-side call to all the different ads um, and then get either uh, get an MP4 and, and do just-in-time transcoding for it, or um, if it's pre-prepared, like a lot of the things that we do, uh, you would get the actual TS file and then just merge it into a single M3U8 uh, with the content TS files uh, in the right rendition and the ads. So Tal, are you actually able to get the, you know, I'll call it the mezzanine file of the ad, and then you can create a high quality or at least the highest quality possible for the, you know, target resolution and bit rate? Uh, or are you limited by the fact that sometimes, you know, you may get a mezzanine quality and other times it may just be a 1080p, in which case drawer's example of like a 4K um you're you know you're just limited i mean you have the quality you have so can you tell us shed some light on that uh it's a fascinating point uh this is an uphill battle for us uh because we are we're still in uh an intermediary we're not we're we're not the post production shop that uh that makes the video file so we're limited with whatever you, we would get um so yeah the the intention is to get a prores or a mez file or a mezzanine file i'm sorry for um uh, of the ad that allows us to do um, uh, transcode into whatever we want, um, but uh, but that's not the reality all the time. Um, in many cases, we would get uh, to your example a 1080p is a, is a good uh, case. In some cases, we get 720 uh, or something oh, else no. that we even need to up. <laughs> 1080p is good. Uh, correct, and <laughs> wow. sometimes we even need to up convert it, which uh, which clearly is not uh, is not really working. Uh, and um, the reality is that the 4K, uh, 4K streaming of ad-supported content is not a real thing uh, as of right now. Uh, but then 1080p is definitely um, one that is. And uh, again, we're we're in 2020 right now, and you can open whatever app uh, without naming names, but you can open one of the biggest apps out there, and I'm sure you would get to an ad break, and you don't need to be. Even an unaided eye can see that the um, that it's a totally different rendition um, of the of the ad, even different audio, uh, let alone volume normalization. But even just the quality of the encoding um, is uh, is significantly different or lower than the than the actual uh, content. Uh, this is this is a common um, uh, common case of or the state of the internet right now. Mm -hmm. But this is something you're trying to avoid. We're definitely trying to avoid. The way that we're doing it is that uh, um, if you think about it, there are two inputs to our system. One is the, the ad itself, the, uh, literally, the, again, the MES file, ProRes, whatever, uh, whatever, uh, whatever container that is, uh, an MP4. Um, and, uh, and then and what is called in the ad term is media file. Uh, media plan, I'm sorry. Media plan is saying that we are Chrysler. The campaign starts in this date and in this date. Uh, there is uh, X number of million impressions on YouTube, then on Snapchat, then on Hulu, and then 
the full list is a very complicated um, metadata of the whole campaign. So those are the two inputs that we're getting. It, you, historically, that was just an upload. So in our system, you would go and just upload the files. Uh, more and more, we're trying to get down to the source and create some type of an integration with, uh, with the DAM, the Digital Asset Manager, because the post-production mm-hmm. shop, uh, let's say again, this is a Chrysler commercial, Chrysler 300 commercial, someone actually did the post for it and they do have uh, the approved asset uh, at the best quality um, possible, but those are not our customers. So sometimes we don't get access to that and we need to beg the customer to get that um, uh, and, and try to explain what's the uh, what's the outcome if you, they don't get it. But uh, uh, so what we're trying to do is to get down to the source as close as possible. Uh, so then that post-production shop would actually um, have an API to us, or even if they upload, they would upload the source uh, and not uh, and not have a, a down sample of it. So our audience, you know, are largely um, encoding engineers, video engineers, and uh, you know, we just hear over and over again. Um, incredible frustration about this. Uh, Jor and I were just talking to a, to a very large uh, live sports streaming service last week to, you know, the person responsible for encoding. And, and he was lamenting that, you know, whenever there's, there's issues with quality, it's because he can't do any better. You know, it's, it's a source issue. The high quality asset exists. Why can't we get access to it so that we can provide an incredible advertising experience? And I'm just wondering, you know, how do we fix this? Uh, how do we fix that? Uh, as more hours per day, um, uh, continues to pour into the connect, let's call it connected television space. Um, and uh, as more and more ad dollars flow in there, and then more and more people cut their cord or shave their cord or are cord nevers and not even exposed to traditional television, this becomes the norm and not the new thing. It's essentially a supply chain or a workflow problem because, as you said, the, the, the file is there. It's not that someone is shooting on a um, on a on an SD camera and now you you're stuck with a sh- uh, with a shitty file. Um, I don't know, people are using red cameras to shoot it. So, uh, yeah, so it's, so it's more of a workflow problem. And this is what we said to, to do is to just uh, remove the clutter and connect, connect everything in, a, in an industry that wasn't connected. It was ads on television still are being delivered predominantly through FedEx with cassette tapes that are being sent to local TV stations. This is still a thing. Um, so it's, uh, this is where we're moving from this world and now talking about getting a MES file or 4K file. I'll tell you about one thing that I'm uh, very keen on is that uh, an, another thing is that if you, so getting the raw asset is one thing. Uh, and then another thing, if you uh, if you look at it, there's multiple parties uh, are on the internet that are getting an asset and transcoding it. So let's say that uh, we get the video file, uh, probably Facebook got the video file as well, maybe it's not through Innovate, and they also transcoded the video file. Uh, and then uh, uh, YouTube or TikTok got the, got the video file somehow, and then sometimes client would use Innovate, sometimes you would go directly into YouTube and upload the raw file, and, uh, and um, maybe NBC would get it through some other distribution channel to their broadcast side, and then when they run it online, they would take the 
broadcast file and transcode it as well. So there's multiple people or organization that got the raw footage uh, and then they're in charge of transcoding. This is pretty stupid. Uh, it should be some type of a centralized repository because there is an ID to every file. And there is an initiative called the EdID to make sure that every there will be a unified uh, numbering system for and, and a catalog, um, and by virtue of that, metadata and tracking of every just on the ad space. Uh, so in every ad, and then uh, not only that you have a catalog, you can access all different resolution in a centralized place. So then if YouTube wants a um, uh, downsampled version, then you just pick the resolution you want. You don't take the raw and then encode it as well. So there's an initiative. Uh, there's several companies trying to do that. It's a, kind of a herding cats type of a- uh, <laughs> I'm sure it out, is. Out of an initiative, but it's almost a necessity because Unless you do that, you will always have those artifacts. Yeah, that's right. And that ad ID, in your experience, um, does that travel, I'll use the word seamlessly, you know, between these various systems? Or is that even an issue of keeping that ad ID intact? You know that, that uh, it is a metadata, but in reality, uh, again, we're the one of the largest platform that actually access files and, and stream it out and encode it. Mm. Most people that do encoding do not carry on all the metadata. That's one thing. Second thing mm. uh, is that most people actually, most platforms don't even look into that metadata, so don't even expose that or do anything with it. Several encoders do not put it in there. Uh, so right now, yes, it is there, but it's not fully available. So the solution uh, that is used mostly right now, which is, you would laugh, is putting it in the in the actual file name. So literally a, an, uh, an unstructured text on the file um, <laughs> before the dot and wow. before you put an underscore and then the, uh, the actual file, which clearly doesn't carry through uh, anywhere. So that's the reality again right now in 2020, that that's the, it's almost like, Dror, do you remember Yossi Vardy's example of, uh, of pigeons carrying uh, DVDs uh, in order to transfer uh, a lot of files, uh, large files? He also did another experiment. He, he took a snail and he stuck a USB drive on the back of the snail. And, and then he had two computers um, connected with a crossed uh, Ethernet cable, and he was trying to see how the data will go faster through the cable or with the snail that is moving slowly between the computers with the USB drive on his back. And I'm sorry to say, but the snail won. So the industry from the outside seems like, again, it, all problems are solved, but it's far from it. Uh, you know, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl is coming up uh, very soon and Fox is going to air the Super Bowl. And like every year you can access it in streaming as well. And it's still a discussion every year. Uh, is the Internet ready for that? Uh, can we do uh, so the, the term for um, uh, for actually ad serving in, in real time is uh, the term in the in the world of television is called DAI, dynamic ad insertion. Every broadcaster that gets the right to the to stream the Super Bowl is are we ready or are we safe to do uh, DAI um, for the ads or um, to to play it safe? We're gonna we're gonna take the broadcast broadcast feed and then just retransit. I can tell you a funny story is that last year we did a really cool experiment. Uh, CBS had the, the rights for the Super Bowl and they use a system that takes um, uh, that take the scatitone and, com and convert it into an ID3 tags um, for the uh, for digital systems. And then on the ID3, um, what, uh, what we put is we put on the marker of the ads, we put the actual um, innovative URL 
of the what is the ad that is about to play. Originally, the system was architected for measurement, so you can do measurement from the client side. So, th so there is a, something on the client side, get the ID3 tag, and then fire that, uh, uh, just do an HTTP get, um, call that URL in order to track um, track the, the ads from the client in the most accurate way. But then what we did last year together with CBS is uh, added the ability to also run overlays on top of the video. So that URL was not just for measurement, but also downloaded graphics to be displayed as a kind of as a transparent layer on top of that uh, on the on the device itself. So if you stream live stream, this is not um, this is not uh, a VOD or anything like that. You do live stream of the Super Bowl last year. Um, many devices on CBS Sports had a small SDK that again took the Scotty tone, convert to uh, to ID three tag, get a, get a URL for a PNG file or whatever that did. This is that is rendered in, in near real time. And then every house on the United States gets something else. So it was, we did an experiment together with uh, Pringles. Um, so the whole commercial was whatever, some type of a game with Pringles. Um, so you would get a, you would get a message uh, that is tailored to you. So it, it literally featured the name of your city um, uh, on it. Uh, and then it allows you to use your remote, let's say Apple TV, you can use your remote to left and right to swipe uh, and play some, some kind of a funky game uh, as the ad was playing. So funny thing, again, this is 2019. You would, you would imagine that we would have that technology available. This is not rocket science. We're talking about a lot more advanced things uh, on the internet, uh, but even that was uh, super revolutionary. And this year, this this capability will not be available because the way that uh, that Fox works is different. Um, but that uh, that count as super super cutting edge. Now, Tal, I know that you're working very closely with Roku, so why don't you share with us, um, you know, what you're doing with them? Uh, share what you can, anyway, and uh, you know, tell us about what's happening on the Roku platform because I think that's very important to all of us in in streaming uh, media, streaming video. Roku is a, is a streaming uh, device that is divided into two parts of their platform. One is a, is a, is a device, a streaming stick or a streaming box, uh, but also Roku, first and foremost, is an operating system that either run on that device or um, uh, licensed to, uh, to TV manufacturers, to TV OEMs. And right now there's 11 OEMs that, uh, that carries that, anything from TCL or Insignia all the way to LG on some SKUs from Sharp as well. Um, so this is, uh, again, Roku, and, and by numbers, Roku is the largest television uh, uh, operating system right now in the United States. The most amount of TVs purchased in 2019 was Roku-powered, or TVs, or, or again, streams, uh, were powered by the Roku OS. So this, and this is larger than Amazon Fire, way, way larger than Apple TV or Xbox or PlayStation or whatnot. Um, so this is, this is Roku. Back in the early, early days of Roku, um, this dating back to 2014 or 15, we did uh, the first advertising-oriented deal with Roku to create a small library, an SDK, that uh, would be part of their framework uh, that many years later, uh, um, the, the name is the Roku Ed framework, RAF. Um, which is a set of uh, a set of libraries that lets app developers, Roku app developers, get access to um, uh, to stuff they need for uh, to run ads inside the app without a lot of work. That allows us to create 
uh, technology for like, for example, interactive television, something that can be done um, uh, very in a very scalable way because now every app on Roku have the ability to render ads that can have overlays. Can You can press the remote and uh, you can purchase things or send things to your phone or whatever uh, whatever um, uh, whatever activity you would like um, so this is the first thing we've done with Roku and enabled that uh, that technology at a, at a mass scale um, this is many many years before Roku was uh, um, uh, was a big success uh, but at the end of last year in September um, we together with Roku we announced uh, kind of the second second act of the innovation on the future of television which is around measurement I mentioned uh, at the beginning at the top of the of the show that we have three parts to our platform the ed server which we talked a lot about uh, different tools around creative and the third one would be uh, measurement capabilities we uh, on the measurement side uh, this is an area that the television industry, if we talked a lot about things that uh, require innovation, measurement is maybe at the top of the list because right now measurement on television is uh, is um, dominated by a company called Nielsen, which I'm sure many people know. That uh, the way that they measure television because of lack of create uh, lack of connectivity is by putting a people meter, a device in people's home in a very, very few households in the United States um, that uh, act as a sample or as a panel, uh, which uh, presumably should represent every household in the United States. So then there's, uh, there's roughly uh, 20,000 families in the United States that represent um, uh, the television ecosystem, which there's north of 100 million houses in the United States and uh, maybe uh, 90 or, uh, or 80 or 90 uh, million households that are watching broadcast television and they're being uh, paneled by 20,000 uh, that, um, um, that essentially measuring what do, what do people actually watch. Uh, so we want to we want to change that. Um, we and many other shameless uh, important uh, important point is that uh, many other companies are are at it because uh, it's obvious need to be changed. But we teamed up with Roku that every one of the devices that carries their operating system, so every one of those TVs that have Roku as an operating system, have a small chip called ACR. Uh, stands for Automatic Content Recognition, that essentially knows what you're watching. Uh, so it records everything that hits the glass. And it doesn't matter if it hits the glass because it's an app on the Roku platform, let's say Hulu or YouTube or Netflix, or you plugged in via an HDMI your set-top box, or you plug in uh, an antenna um, to, uh, uh, to the TV, or even you have a DVR or a VHS uh, plugged into your television. doesn't matter if it's rendered on the screen, then uh, Roku would know what it is. Um, they do a second-by-second second or almost a frame-by-frame frame matching to a catalog uh, and then know what exactly you're watching and at what time code. Um, this is all... Uh, we can talk about privacy as well, which is a very important part of it, but uh, this is all opted in. Uh, you don't have to contribute this data, but uh, most people do. Um, uh, and then we get this data. We don't care about the individual household, but we can use that as you don't, you don't need a panel anymore where every television is telling you what exactly you're watching. Uh, so we are, we're on a mission to reinvent that uh, television measurement in a much better way. That's really amazing. So the television is actually watching what you are watching, even if it's not streamed through that uh, Roku platform, it's watching everything that is projected uh, to the screen. And not only 
um, you know, like recording the pixels or um, they're actually using this automatic content recognition system, analyzing and knowing what content, what piece of content this is, whether it's a live broadcast or um, um, a video on demand. Or, yeah, it could be a DVD or a VHS. shifted or it's an ad. Yeah, exactly. Where is that fingerprint happening, Tal? Yeah, so there's multiple companies that uh, that makes the catalog. Um, uh, Roku is licensing a set of. Uh, and by the way, I don't uh, disclaimer. I don't work for Roku, and I don't know any uh, uh, internal uh, internal data about Roku. We have a, we have a strong partnership with them. So Roku is uh, uh, is using technology. And by the way, other TV manufacturers are doing the same thing. This is not limited to Roku. Vizio, who made a lot of noise uh, around that as well, and and many others, Sony and Toshiba and others are using similar technologies. Uh, what's on the device is mainly picking up multiple pixels, hashing it together and sending it to the cloud. Uh, and the, the matching to the catalog is not happening on the device. There is clearly no need for that. Uh, and there are several companies that create this catalog uh, and, uh, and and does essentially the, the pattern matching uh, between uh, the set of uh, temporal data of that uh, uh, set of frames, consecutive frames, uh, to a catalog to know exactly what you're watching Watching. Is it uh, uh, what show, what episode? Uh, is it an ad? Uh, and then is that not, so? One thing is to know the catalog. The other one is to know what is on right now. In every, it's a very complicated problem uh, because uh, sometimes you are uh, you you may be watching it live um, again, tuning into I don't know ABC. But right now, because that show is a local show, you would watch it streamed by the Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, ABC affiliate, uh, and it's not a national show, so you can't really match it to a catalog and know uh, is it live or not live. Uh, and then when it comes to ad, it gets even more complicated because some of the ads are inserted in real time, so you need to know that uh, that ad is inserted in real time, so then it doesn't impact the idea of the stream. You didn't really change a channel. Um, it's just a, a dynamic insertion. So doing all of this measurement, I think it, it, it probably puts a lot of responsibility on, on your uh, part of the value chain, on the software that you create, on the reports that you generate, because uh, you know, based on this, I guess, is, is, is how the, the, um, the content providers um, uh, get paid, right, for showing those ads. As you said, uh, we're what is called a system of record for billing. So I mentioned that uh, roughly a third of the ads uh, are being transacted by us. Uh, this equate to uh, this is a very rough number because the number the dollars doesn't go through us. We're just uh, creating the billing, or, or we are we're the actual counter uh, of something like five billion dollars um, of uh, of ad dollars. So again, YouTube and Snapchat and New York Times and NBC and Fox and 2BTV and many other um, channels and apps are being paid based on our numbers. Um, and in order for that, we need to do a lot of filtration, uh, detecting what is fraud and making sure there's no false positives and, uh, uh, and many other things like that. And for it, we go through an audit process. Um, uh, so Ersten Young is the auditor and there's, a, there's an organization called the Media Rating Council uh, that we go through an audit every year to make sure that what we say we do, we actually do. Uh, and there's no, uh, uh, there's no problems in the counting. Um, uh, and yeah, all this, 
uh, it happens all the time that uh, we are counting, but also clearly broadcasters uh, uh, or apps would count for their own use as well. And sometimes, uh, unfortunately, the numbers are not the same. Uh, so we would say that uh, um, uh, PNG ran uh, 10 million ads and uh, uh, the broadcaster, NBC, Discovery, what have you, would say that actually it's, uh, um, I don't know, it's 10 and a half million ads. Um, so then they need to pay, get paid more. But uh, the way that the contract um, is written is that innovative numbers, because we're unbiased, uh, is what um, uh, is what will dictate the payment. Ah, so you're like the gold standard in measurements. Uh but it's a very interesting uh very interesting world it's an ever changing world so counting and ads uh ten years ago and counting ads today is a very very different business there's a lot of studies and and I think you even have one that you can cite uh if you'd like to that 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 say very clearly that consumers are not opposed to ads. This whole notion that people and I use the air quotes hate ads is actually not true what they hate is a bad or an irrelevant experience amazing you know yeah. if the platform happens to know that i'm looking for a new car and then i get served a great car ad guess what and, and especially if it piques my interest that's actually a good experience 100 yeah we always use this exactly the same term that you mentioned people don't hate ads they just hate bad ads um and that's uh that's an absolutely true and you when you ask people when you um uh again when you read read the trades it looks like uh, uh ads are a very gloomy thing but uh, and then you go to platforms like in my mind instagram is the best um uh, ad experience ever made um when you see ads on when you see ads on Instagram, it's significantly better, and there's and it's not uh, disruptive at all. You can you you have your thumb uh, there, and you can continue scrolling, and then many many people choose to actually watch that. So completely reverse model. It's not that I'm uh, that I'm forced to watch the ad. I literally can continue scrolling the same way that I'm scrolling there, uh, but people literally are choosing to watch that because it's good ads. This has been, a, you know, a, a really amazing discussion. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely know that we're going to have to do a part two. Yeah, yeah. There are a few issues we did not cover and we must cover them. And it's really been fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Tal. Would love to. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Tor. Uh, thanks, everyone that listened. Thanks, Beamer. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H.264 transcoding every month.